G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone, and welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 21 preview edition as we creep ever closer to what should be a very intriguing and hopefully classic final series. Lots to talk about this morning, all the usual news and views, previews of all nine games. Media Watch, our competition, of course, make sure you enter. We've got a great prize pack to give away, and we'll have details of a new competition as well. As I say, a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? I'm well. There's a big cold front moving in to Melbourne, Victoria, even for our South Australian listeners. So yes. It's benign this morning, but uh, expect some wintry weather this weekend. I'm told the temperature, it's going to feel like five or six degrees cooler than what the temperature actually is. Oh, they must be in my living room then. How does that work? I mean, if that's the case... The wind chill factor? Well, why don't they just make the temperature what it feels, feels like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It just occurred to me then. Um, what's going on in your football world? Well... I know what's going on in my eating world, and that's Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street. Uh, I wish my football team was as consistently good as Andrew's Hamburgers is in producing great burgers, great chips, and I think we've got a lot of um, good supporters, followers of this podcast. Great cans of Passiona. Yeah, they didn't have Passiona. (laughs) I thought they did, sorry. No, that was my mistake. But we've got so many... Wonderful supporters of our podcast. If you're in the area, uh, support us by supporting them. And the beauty is that just as we pride ourselves on a quality podcast, I have no fear in recommending them for a feed if you're in the Albert Park, South Melbourne area. Well, bugger if you're in the area. Drive from out of the area. We had someone who drove all the way up from the Mornington Peninsula on a day when they were closed. Uh, Disappointing, that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. And also Nick's Bartels and Hardwick Bilco. Big thanks to them. They do renovations and do builds. And who knows, time just might be right for you to get the professionals on board. All right. Uh, we're not going to buggerize around. We're going to get straight into it. Lot to talk about. Let's do it. On Footyology Newsfeed. Okay, news, news, and more news. Plenty around this week. Uh, I thought we'd start this week, finally, with a story which, curiously to me, and again, this is sort of heading into Media Watch territory, but I thought this story was really underplayed, and that is the appointment of Blake Carousella as an assistant coach at Essendon for next year. Um, I think this is a real coup. Uh, You know, I think if you're lining up the ranks of assistant coaches uh, likely to get senior jobs and the um, uh, their desirability, uh, he would have been just about top of the list. He's been in the system now as an assistant for 13 years. In fact, first came across Blake and his coaching guys at Collingwood in 2007 when I spent a week there. Um, he went to Geelong and worked under first Bomber Thompson and then Chris Scott. 
and then of course moved to Richmond in 2017. So played in two premierships, one with Essendon and one with Brisbane in 2003. Uh, was part of Geelong's premiership in uh, 2011, and uh, of course part of the Tigers' flag in 2017. Largely credited with having really got the Tigers' forwards set up. Happening that pressure game in the small forwards. I know Blake reasonably well. He's a really smart cookie. Uh, obviously displayed those smarts as an AFL player. He was all you know. He had the remember they used to call him the skunk. No one went near him. He used to pick up thirty touches on a wing. Um, but very highly regarded, and uh, of course you got the added attraction in an Essendon sense of you know an old an old boy sort of coming home, and that trust me that is important to a lot of Essendon people. So I think for the Bombers it is a real coup, and they haven't talked about a handover process and a curability agreement sort of thing with John Warsfold, but um, Wush's contract has got another year to go. Um, Put it this way, I mean, a lot can happen in a year, but uh, I, I would be staggered if Blake Carousella now isn't the next senior coach of Essendon. And um, yeah, I, I sense with John Walsfold too that when he goes, there won't be that much angst about it. He'll be as much a party to the decision as the club. So I think they've done really well. well I think it's good for everybody at Essendon bar John Worsfold. It's I don't know whether he was party to the decision to bring him back to the club, but it clearly is a move with an eye for the future. As you say, the next coach of Essendon seems to now have been welcomed back to the fold. John Westfold's done very well this year. This team's been decimated. So a lot of people don't think that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I think they've done all right. I, I'm sort of with you. Oh, this side's been decimated. This side has... Oh, as I said in on the Sunday edition, in the loss that you suffered on the weekend, it struck me, not that that was disappointing, but how brave and what a feat it had been to win in the previous few weeks. I yeah. mean, so this is, I, I, I would imagine that next year, John Worsfold would need something pretty spectacular to be coaching in 2021. Um, yeah, possibly, but I maintain that I, when he goes, I don't think there'll be much angst about it. I, I think yeah, he's, I, 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 he's think, quite sort of, uh, what's the word, sanguine almost about his coaching future. Do you think he's quite comfortable with the notion that he'll see out this contract and then move on? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, and I, and I think that's fine too. And I, and I think, yeah, but um, as we saw at Collingwood, that doesn't work if... Essendon has a standout year and makes a grand final, wins a grand final. That just doesn't work. Possibly, but that's presuming that uh, he's got the same sort of personality type as Mick Malthouse and also has his home in the same state. See, I I think it's quite possible that if they did win a premiership, he might bow out then okay. if there's a well, decent handover. And and look, don't get me wrong here, I'm not speaking armed with inside information or anything, but I just think that that's the sort of guy John Worsfold is. Okay, so we're talking about the upside of John Worsfold. What if Essendon didn't win another game this year and missed out on the eight? Um, would he be... Would there be a danger that he may not coach next year? There would, but I still think that he'd probably serve out his contract. Yeah, I would have thought that would be unfair, but to a point to... 
if that happened and to go with him for next season, the committee would have to be steadfast in their resolve that he sees out that year. Not that there's nothing worse than a coach, how a coach must feel that he's on borrowed time. Oh, during the course of a season. Through a pre-season, through drafting. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is we've seen examples of coaches that know that their head is in the noose going for short-term fixes during the trade period and draft. Yeah. So I think we'll get a good indication of Essendon's mindset, his own mindset, by the players that they go for, whether or not they're looking for ready-made players and sacrificing draft selections for players that give you that instant sugar hit and lift you up the table. Yeah. Think of Pagan when he went to Carlton. Carlton. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm very confident, absolutely confident, that uh, there wouldn't be a replacement mid-season next year if it went pear-shaped. Uh, I, I don't think they're that sort of club and they don't want to be. But it is a coup for Essendon. That because, sort of club. Because, as you explained, he's got a, a, a an impressive and long history as an assistant coach and that now seems to be the blueprint for a successful coach they have really shied away clubs from players that are just out of the game and people that have not done a deep apprenticeship in coaching boxes i I just i did quickly i I just did find it a bit odd that it sort of didn't get more fanfare so we've been talking about like reshaw willie or won't he get the gig i guess it's not a senior gig but the writing is very clearly on the wall, or maybe you know, maybe I'm seeing it more clearly than other people, or something. But I would have thought it was a bigger story than the uh, attention it seemed to receive from either major Melbourne paper. And 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 to be fair, I, I was only looking online, but I couldn't see it in the Herald Sun online edition for half of the day. And the Age sort of had it as part of a story about. Uh, Mac Welfy being injured, unfortunately for Mac Welfy, he's out for the rest of the season after injuring a knee at training. Anyway, um, yeah, good pick up for the Bombers, and I think they'll be rightly happy with that. We're, we're dealing, if we're talking Carousella in the news, then we're probably going deeper than the coverage that we now get. You know, it's it's when you think of oh. Let's turn our attention to football. And what's the latest with uh, David Teague and Brett Ratton? You know, I think we're in a, in a period of unfortunately fairly superficial coverage. Oh, what gives you that touch, impression? Touch on that in media box. Um, okay, so uh, another story that's just emerged in the last day that is Alex Rance ruling himself out of a potential comeback from his knee reconstruction. So if Richmond are to win the flag, as a lot of people think they will do, uh, they will have to do it without Alex Rance, which be pretty sad for him. But look, he has played, obviously played in the Premiership um, two years ago. It was an interesting one because the momentum seemed to be building um, that it was possible. But, uh, you know, clearly he was quite um, sort of candid about his feelings and talked about not being able to live with himself if, you know, it went pear-shaped and he let them down. Is he fully committed to playing on next year? Uh, I haven't heard to the contrary. Um, I'm almost I back my house on my Nick Spartel's house on the fact he would. Yeah, oh, there's just always, if recent times there's been a murmur, but this I'm only I'm not saying that there's a rumor to match this up about his religious conviction and, yeah. that, and that he could he could comfortably walk away from the game before the game before the game taps him on the shoulder yeah. he may well tap the game on the shoulder 
Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. I, I just think uh, now's not the time for the no. tap, given yeah. that they, they could win not only this flag, but maybe one and, or two I'm more. Sure, I'm sure he wants to end as a player, not on the sidelines. Yeah. Um, so, uh, quick question, can they win a flag without Alex oh, Rance? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, Grimes I agree. Grimes has stepped into... Uh, it, there's almost been a um, shift in how Grimes plays. Asprey now does the cover work that Grimes did for Rance. You're better off, of course, with Rance in the team, mm. but their back line looks pretty pretty ship-shaped. Well, that, that view has changed during the course of the year, hasn't it? Because I reckon if you went back to when he did the injury in round one, you'd find half a dozen stories and commentary of people saying they can't win it without Alex Rance. Well, again, another example of how well... Richmond has been able to adapt through a succession of injuries, not just to him. So yeah. I'll, I'll say if Grimes went down, because there was a week that Grimes didn't play, and I think they turned to Garthwaite, and that didn't work out. So, you know, it's um, the old Simpsons episode with the softball team from the plant. One accident, maybe. Two possible. Three. They, all they ended up with was with Daryl Strawberry, I think. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, another news item, uh, the sad, uh, much-lamented passing of AFLX after two storied AFLX tournaments. The concept is no more. Um, the reasons given, they want more, quote, clear air, unquote. That's a real corporate term these days, isn't it? Yeah. Around the AFLW competition, yep. which I agree with entirely. Um, and the other element to it, uh, trying to declutter the pre-season, ease the load on players so they can have players as fit and durable for the course of the premiership season as possible. That was paraphrasing what Steve Hocking had to say about it. But, yeah, um, uh, yeah no, not much uh, uh, lament on my part, I have to say. Will you lament the passing of AFLX? Exactly 10, sec- 10 seconds into my first watching of AFLX, not this year, but the year before. When they had actual teams, yes. you know, real teams. So I'd watched it for 10 seconds, and I still called it AFLX, but I spelt it A-F-L-E-X, and it is now X yes. in that sense. So was, the the, uh, the flyers and the rampage didn't sort of rekindle your interest? The draft night was an interesting <laughs> affair. <laughs> what about the... I, actually, we'll have some good things to look back on in 10 or 20 years. What about that sort of fashion parade thing they did before the start of this yeah, year? Um, they, they tried to... Remember Alex Reds turning up on the skateboard? Yeah, oh, it was <laughs> It was something else. I, it. How could you describe it? It was like trying to... I, I read somewhere this week, I can't remember what I was reading, but it described the folly of trying to punch fog... And that's that's what this was. They were chasing something. It was like trying to punch hurt fog by punching it. They they simply were chasing a, a, a market or a, a concept. And I understand, in essence, the idea of creating a game that you could play on a rectangle field, making it easier to play in state in Queensland and New South Wales and overseas, but to Bring AFL players into it was crazy. Well, that was the rationale kept changing. First, it was about being able to play it overseas, and then it became, oh no, it's to appeal to the kids. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm sure there was another one they came up with, and then sort of. The- Why don't they try and appeal to like the over 65s? And, and have bring back like old players. There's old Roger Dean. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, AFLX gone, and 
you know, the other thing about uh, clear air or about the women's comp too is, of course, we, we're going to have a whole lot of new teams coming into it this year. So. Yeah, yeah, there's well, St Kilda and Richmond. Yeah, and uh, Gold Coast and West Coast. And that really leaves Essendon and Hawthorne in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a couple of other teams. Oh, Port Adelaide. Um, uh, Sydney, I think. Yes, because GWS are in it. Um, uh, but that'll get there. And, uh, you know, we're, I think we've both been pretty steadfast supporters of women's football. I'm really football. looking forward to watching St Kilda. I will, go to, I will absolutely go to St Kilda mm. AFLW games. Yeah. I've been following them in the VFL this season. They're on top of the ladder, I think. Yep. Um, Close uh, to. One more news item I wanted to touch on too, and it was the story about Joe Danaher's meeting with Tom Harley. And was it him catching up with a mentor or was it a potential um, move of Joe from uh, the Bombers to the Swans? Uh, how did you see it? If you go by past history, the Swans have always targeted a headline act. Yeah. They might see... Oh, spearhead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they went to St Kilda a couple of times. With yeah. Rickett and Hall... They obviously failed with Kurt Tippett. That didn't amount to much. Buddy's been great, but as we've seen this year, maybe Buddy's time on the field is problematic going forward. And it would make sense to go for somebody like Joe Danaher. He's the headline act that could comfortably fit the Swans' modus, you know, their their, their modus operandi. And, of course, he wouldn't be the first Danaher at the Swans, it might be a welcome homecoming. They've had Danaher's there before. They've let Danaher's go before. Mm. But Harley is his mentor. I, I would I would have thought that Sydney are sounding him out. I, I, yeah. I, I would doubt that that... Well, maybe it was both. Maybe he was correct. catching up. Yeah, and correct. They, they would certainly be in the position to... And they need... An, an, they need to bring into the side a couple of experienced, good footballers, and he seems a logical choice. I, I mean, Essendon were aware of the meeting. I mean, th- this is the other element about it, while we indulge in this sort of, you know, what does it mean, and it's a beat-up because he was just meeting with a mentor or whatever. Um, I'd be staggered if, even if they were catching up as a, a mentor and uh, what's, the, what's the subject of a mentor? Grasshopper. Uh, sort of thing, as in Kung Fu, um, whether there wasn't a mention of contractual status and, and the officials club and blah, blah, blah. And the other thing, even if it was a contractual discussion, that in itself, does that actually mean that much? I mean, I'm not saying it's not a news story, but this is a well-known tactic from management, you know, float, get out in the public domain, report of interest in such and such, and it ups the... Asking price, like that story about Anthony McDonald tipping Woody the other week that for half of the story talked about interest from this club and this club and this club and then halfway down, but he's quite happy and he won't leave. But are Essendon under siege a bit? Fantasia, MacTip, Danaher, sometimes I guess, I don't know whether there's a feeling that there's opportunities to pick up players from Essendon, whether the contracts are all running out at a certain time, whether they're hitting free agency. But 
certain clubs do sometimes feel a little bit under siege. Is is that a possibility? Um, oh, I, I guess so. I guess I guess Essendon also has not really advanced up the tree in terms of being a premiership likely. So there's not the these players aren't staying around. Wouldn't be drawn to the club because they are firm in the belief that they're going to be part of something huge very soon. Like, it'd be hard to pry somebody out of the hands of Brisbane at the moment. You don't think Essendon are sort of trending up in terms of premiership likelihood? Well, they've sort of... I like, think they, they They've been thereabouts, you know. Yeah. But, but maybe... Look, you can blue sky it and Essendon people would say to those guys, if you're all fit, that's where we are trending. Yeah. But then people from other clubs might say, you know, why don't you... Have a change of direction. It's stagnated a bit there. Well, I guess for, for Danaher, he's had a couple of disappointing years. Not the yeah. club's fault or his fault, but mm. sometimes players like that are open to a, a change of environment. Yeah, well, I guess ultimately the most important thing is what the players themselves think. But um, yeah, no, don't get me wrong on that either. I'm not saying they're, they're definitely going to win a flag, but I think they're they're certainly closer than they were last year and closer than they were the year before that, etc. Et but I don't think they're they're as I said, you don't get a play from Richmond at the moment that they want to keep because they are firmly in the flag cycle. Mm. Likewise, West Coast, Brisbane. I'm just saying Essendon's not quite there. Yeah, yeah, it's not like Richmond a, or West give Coast. Give them a level of vulnerability. Yeah, and I think every club's got that. It's just the fluidity of the player market now. It's far more fluid than it was yep. even even five years ago, yeah, I yeah. think. Looks, I think it's a good thing. All right, uh, that's probably enough news. Let's talk football media. Footyology Media Watch. Okay, time to talk football media. And uh, a few things I wanted to raise this week, Finey. Um, interesting story in The Age on, I think, Tuesday from Jake Nile, And it was about a women in sport conference he attended. And uh, speaking at that conference was Dave Barham, who... Uh, is on the Essendon Football Club board, but Dave, of course, for people unfamiliar with that name, ran Channel 10's football coverage um, uh, when they had the rights, going back away now, feels like centuries ago, uh, but also set up Channel 7's cricket coverage for last summer. And uh, Dave was, uh, I guess, a bit of a pioneer in the sense of introducing uh, female voices to commentary, a la Kelly Underwood on Channel 10. Kelly called for Channel 10 in 2010 and 11, I think. Um, still calls on ABC Radio. Um, Alison Mitchell called on Channel 7 last year. Mel McLaughlin's been part of that. Um, we're definitely seeing a rise in the profile of women in football coverage, but Dave was of the view... Um, it needs a bit of a push along, and he was talking about their ascent, I guess this was the key of it, their ascent from subsidiary roles into key commentary and commentary, uh, sorry, play-by-play and special commentary type roles. Um, I, I've got sort of mixed feelings about this because um, I think... Uh, like, say, Fox Footy, for example, this uh, last couple of seasons have promoted women. So we're talking about Sarah Jones, uh, Neroli Meadows, Kelly Underwood. Um, also, um, Sarah Ollie, who is part of the Saturday Stretch Show. But what strikes me with those um, four is that they're all 
they all sort of, in terms of game coverage, are in hosting roles where they don't really get to say much. They basically intro the game and say, well, it's going to be a classic game today and then throw it over to the boys and you guys can talk about the real stuff. So I get where Dave's coming from with this, but given the sort of blowback that happened when Kelly Underwood started calling AFL games, and this is admittedly eight eight years ago, um, I just wonder how that sort of barrier is ever going to be broken. So how do you feel about the whole thing? First of all, the use of um, females on Fox Football's coverage, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think it is window dressing. It's, yeah, it's still a bit tokenistic. Yeah. And I've got to say this. I have been very impressed by female voices that have been calling cricket, both in the Cricket World Cup and in the first Ashes Test. So who are we talking about? Alison Mitchell, um, Isa Gua. Oh, she's pretty good. Mel yeah. Jones, I think, is quite good. Now, the reason I'm impressed by them, and I've also been impressed by some of the special comments, um, female special comments that I've heard on radio this year, on the ABC, because these are players. And I feel that the current batch of ex-footballers, and footballers now don't really get coached, coached or trained much in the mechanics of the game, in the specific how to kick in football. The girls, on the other hand, I think are well well versed in this because I think they've really been there's been a, a an emphasis on basic skills taught right through to AFLW because a lot of girls that started there, a lot of the players came from other sports, mm. and I think they talk with quite a bit of authority, and I respect what they have to say in terms of the technique in kicking the ball, picking up the ball from a greasy surface. I quite like it. Mm. Likewise, these female commentators, I think, excellent. Uh, in fact, who's the female commentator? It's, it's, is it... Oh, I should know who it is. When they come back, when Channel 9 come back and there's uh, Todd Woodbridge, interestingly. Yeah. And... Oh, Lisa Stalika. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, was on with Ian Healy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's good. Sorry, she I, the, I should have mentioned Lisa. She yeah, does the classic... She can't talk cricket without doing the hand movements, which I love. So when she talks about a spin bowler, she does the hand movement of a, a spin bowler tossing it up. And I had a mate who spoke like that. And when he spoke, he was a first-class cricketer, Steve Hertzberg. And when he sp- talked about facing bowlers, um, he'd do the action of a bowler bouncing it into the pitch. And him hooking it was always doing a clap above his head. I like them. And I think as more AFLW players... Uh, have careers and their careers end, they will make very good special comments people and commentators. I agree. And let me chip in here because I should have mentioned this person and it, I'm glad you brought that up because it gives me a chance to bring it up. Uh, Daisy Pierce. I really rate Daisy Pierce. I really like her. And and here's another example. Oh, no, actually, that's, she has done special comments on radio. She's done that for SEN. And I've heard it, and she's she's really good. She really, her reading of the game and, um, you know, her tactical observations, they're all spot on. Seven have only used her in that sort of boundary role. Um, but even with things like, you know, the observations she comes in with that, I think are always on, on course. And uh, her interviews too, I've noticed with, 
you know, those post-game interviews, they're always so sort of bland and the most obvious questions. I've noticed with Daisy that she tries to sort of dig a little bit deeper or just come up with a different slant. And, and I, I really rate her. And to that end, and we were, we're sort of going to talk about this, but um, I read some absolutely disgusting comments about her on Big Footy over the last week. You know, like someone... Oh, in fact, I won't even dignify it by repeating it. But, um, you know, just people complaining. Basically, you know the criticisms are motivated by the fact that she's a woman. You know, it's about her voice and, and sort of like this air of resentment that she'd even have an opinion. Um, so Daisy, you know, she has the playing background. She clearly knows her stuff. I think she's articulate. You know, she presents well in my opinion, presents well to a camera. She, she's an obvious one to take a, a bigger role yeah. in a football sense. The one thing I would say about uh, females calling football, and I, I don't speak specifically about anybody, but I have heard this um, f- this this technique used by a female or caller or two, and they shouldn't do it, is... In fact, I don't like when most people do it anyhow because it's very much something that Bruce McAvaney brought into commentary. It's the rhetorical question. No, it's oh. it's the guttural. Oh yeah, yeah. The guttural call. Yeah, yeah. For a, for a goal or a, well, you know, he'll he'll be. Uh, what a great piece of play! So that deep guttural yeah. voice. Now that's not a female voice. That for a female to call to to do that is not using that person's voice properly, I don't believe. Yep, yep, no, no, I agree, I agree I don't with want to that. Hear a, I don't, a female commentator should not be trying to sound like a man at any point in time. The, yeah, the Bruce... They don't need to. The Bruce one's interesting because he didn't, he didn't always do that. He didn't always do the rhetorical questions. And the weirdest one is that A on the end of every sentence. He never did that. Uh, we didn't bring up something very interesting, just it's Media Watch, that he said a couple of weeks ago that was very strange. What was that? They had a shot. Collingwood were losing and uh, Eddie Maguire and his boys were leaving. Yeah. He just out of nowhere said, they're good-looking boys, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was odd. And if you have listen- you Actually, have you noticed that, I, I can't remember their names, so apologies, but the older boy, he looks like Darcy Moore. I haven't had a close look. They are good-looking boys, but I just found it interesting that their image would come up on the screen and the commentator would say, they're good-looking boys. I'll tell you something else about Bruce. Listen to his commentary. Virtually every play that gets the ball, he gives a, a, a career observation or a season observation on, on that player. He's been a good player for a couple of years now. A little bit disappointing in the first half of this year, but he's really picking up the play. He feels sort of um, compelled to give a, a, a an over an overview of every player in, well, terms, in terms of their status in the game. Maybe that's a reflection of where Bruce is at. Isn't that special comments more than yeah, look, yeah. call the game, me old mate? Yeah, yeah. No, um, look, I like Bruce. He's a you know he's a really nice guy. That being that being said, he's, he's been a of, fantastic one of the great sports commentators this country's ever yeah. produced. It's just those couple of little quirks that I, I just wonder why. Why would you pick them up sort of two thirds of the way through a career? It's just strange. All right, that's enough on that topic. Now um, I know you wanted to have a chat about this. Uh, how do we introduce this one? Um, well, let, should should I mention it or? Oh, look, I will mention it. Okay. I, you pointed out to me via an, an 
SMS that um, there was uh, some chat about me on Bigfooty's SEN thread. Yes. Now, I just want to make something clear, and it was instigated by one uh, contributor. Yep. Who goes by the name of Crash Davis. Oh, so a non-deployment, not a real name. Well, that's how that's how you operate in a forum. Yep. And what he said, and he said that, basically what he said was, uh, Mark Fine was a psycho at 1116 SEN. Oh, nice. A number of panel operators and producers said so. And he was sacked for behavioural issues. And somebody actually clearly asked him, so you're saying he was sacked for behaviour? And the answer, one word, yes. Now, I want to categorically say that that is not true. And I don't understand why somebody would fabricate that story. I was made redundant when new management took over. Craig Hutchison became general manager. Now, I was certainly not an island, uh, as we know. You know, Marco and Ox moved on and countless contributors moved on. People behind the scenes, station manager, program manager, sales staff, a huge number of people were made redundant as two companies merged to one, Croc Media and, uh, well, 1116 SEN, not a company, but a radio station. And that was Hutchie's prerogative. I received a very fair redundancy payout and I wasn't sacked. To be sacked, I worked for that company for, four, for the station for 14 years. To be sacked in Australia, you need to get three written warning or written warnings. I received, I never received a single written warning. I worked with a number of panel operators and producers and had great relationships with them. In fact, my last panel operator and producer for the last year and a half I was at the station is Carl uh, Bianco, who we work with on footyology and continue to have a great relationship with him. Now, it's simply not true. And, and the dynamics, he steadfastly sticks by this story, claiming that he has an insider or a family member that I believe has canvassed my panel operators and producers. So he's he's big noting himself. I, di- I did, uh, I've read this a second time just to make sure I've got all my facts right here and whatever and he's yeah. now he's now i noticed he rushed to uh sort of prove that he had inside info by saying i, I told everyone what would happen with kb yeah i mean that's that's was hardly difficult to um, read the tea leaves yeah and, and the fact is maybe he's getting information from somebody but that person certainly if they're at sen now has not spoken to my panel operators and producers because they're not there anymore and that would take that would be like trying to organise a school reunion from a primary class in Guam. I mean, it'd be very hard to assemble all those people. And it's just not, look, it's not true. And it, it is, what I find disturbing... Is it hurtful? Well, it is, it, it is hurtful. I was not sacked for behavioural issues. I, I left that station with really good ratings. I, I had a great relationship with management and... People that I worked with for a long time, Carl Bianco, Mark Desenko, they remain good friends of mine. Matthew Lee, I worked with a lot of different, at nights you get to work with a lot of different producers and panel operators because they sort of get trialled there a bit and a lot of them came and went and if one of them, you know, blames me for their short time on radio, so be it. I, I, I make no apologies because... We produced good radio and I had good relationships with these people. 
the fact is, what what's a bit unfair about this is, um, Crash Davis can write what he wants. Well, hang on, just about so, Mark Fine. Just so the that, problem is that Crash Davis is not his real name. Mm. Mark Fine is my real name, so he is besmirching Mark Fine under the uh, under the. Um, blanket of anonymity that comes with being in a forum and not using a real name. Well, the, yeah, no, well, well said. I mean, the, that was one thing I was going to point out. I'm sure if we rounded up uh, every associate of Crash Davis's, we'd be able to find a few who didn't think that highly of him. I mean, you know, you but don't so, deal so, with, not everyone you deal and, with likes you. And, and to sort of, I'm, I'm, do I need to discredit this person? I'm telling you and you know it's not true. You know how I left an SEM. Absolutely, I do. You can support that, and anybody can go and check that I received a redundancy payout. That is not in keeping with being sacked. Furthermore, he says that I'd never be welcomed back because of my behaviour. I never worked for this current management. I have no record of behaviour with this management. Why would they not welcome me back? For some, I haven't worked for them, so that's ridiculous. But I think what maybe sums up Crash Davis best is that he felt compelled to write a one-line sweeping statement about people that are still at the station. Some positive. Andrew Marr, great bloke. I like Andrew Marr, and so he is. Um, Jared Waitley, very good with people off air. Great. Tim Gossage, complete twat or something like that. Now, if this person's... receiving hearsay from somebody he knows at the station, then he's passing an opinion and giving an opinion. Tim Gossage lives in WA. <laughs> how can you base, how can you go and say, he's a complete twat? You don't know him. This person you're getting information from, if they exist, doesn't know him. So why would you call somebody that I'm sure you've never met, and I doubt your insider, as you refer to them, has ever met as a complete twat. I'm a psycho. Gossage is a complete twat. And you, according to your latest post, don't make things up and everything is absolutely 100% bona fide. Well, it's not, mate. And stop doing it. Yeah, I, I, so I just want to send a message here to Crash Davis too. I mean, yeah, it's it's great to do things under a non-diplume and have that uh, you know, security blanket there, but um, <laughs> I, I should just say, yeah. not damning of me, Crash Davis. He did say in one of his posts he'd rung up Talkback a few times and quite enjoyed, you know, the intercourse we had together. So it's not like a personal hatred of me. I think he's just, you know, Big part of the, well, part of the gossip bill. Yeah, okay. Well, opinion, so, opinion, opinion. Okay, so what I wanted to say to Crash was just stop before you do that and think about the fact that you know and you know everyone knows that we read the Big Footy Forum. There's a footyology thread which I started and I post the show on. And until now, the and even if the feedback isn't positive and it isn't all positive, it's been a respectful, civil enough conversation and I, I really appreciate the feedback we get on it and people's support quite genuinely. But, you know, you know we read that, you know we see that. Um, so just, you know, next time you do that, stop and think how you'd feel if someone went out and besmirched your name and your character with second or third-hand information that, that you were unable or unwilling to, to verify. I mean, it's it's pretty tacky 
stuff, mate, and um, maybe have a think about that next time. And the other thing I'd just like to address on the back of this is the people who listened to Finey's final siren, which was very much a, a heated exchange of ideas often, uh, something that I promoted and, and nurtured, need to understand that that's very different to the sort of host I was, say, for The Right Time or for the interviews with Jeff Poulter or for much of the evening program. And I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag here. I was very much guided and instructed and in the end required by station management to maintain that very combative nature on Fine is Final Siren. It's what the sponsors liked. It's what the management liked. And it didn't always sit all that comfortably with me. I received a lot of very nasty SMSs. I received death threats. I had to change. I had to make my phone number at home silent. I had family members accosted. And that was a price I had to pay, but management really wanted me to maintain a very abrasive style on that show. And I worked for the station, and that's what I was told to do. So, and I, I can to, con, I can confirm here for anyone doubting this that the Mark Fine you are hearing now is uh, a far far closer to the real Mark Fine version than the Finey's final siren version. In fact, Finey, you, you would agree, wouldn't you? I'm probably a far more combative character than you. Yeah, yeah I would never take up the Twitter positions you do. I think it's quite courageous, but. I saw some of the comments were they started delving into he's, you know, crazy on air. He must be worse off air. I'd, yeah. Um, well, perhaps that, uh, um, in, in closing, perhaps that might have been fueled by the image of you on this thread sitting naked in the studio with a pair of underpants on your head. Yeah, uh, that's, again, you know, take, <laughs> take a snapshot of a moment in time. That's a good pick. I'm saying you take I hadn't a, seen it. You take, you take a moment in time and, yeah, he's crazy. And I've got to say, you know, there are a couple of examples thrown up there. The fight I had with Gilbo was, it was pretty feisty, but we were great mates. And five seconds, you know, a minute later, we were hugging and, and we're like brothers. So please, you know, understand what's happening. And, and there was... Uh, an off-colour reference to a, a producer of mine who had run foul of the law. I, I, how that relates back to me, I don't understand, but needless to say, uh, well, I can tell you I've never spoken to that person since, and I was aghast when it was presented to me, and he was immediately, by management, told to leave the station and, and removed. So, um, you know, one and one. Don't, that sometimes there's a, a logic... Sometimes there's a process of... Um, logic in a forum that I guess people aren't trying to be nasty but remember all of the people in the forum go by nom de plumes I go by my real name I have four kids I have a wife and it it seeps back you know they they follow football and and it's hurtful to them and in turn hurtful to me so if it's not true just don't don't run with it yep no couldn't agree more. All right, that's enough for me to watch this week. Uh, let's talk about the footy. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Rightio, nine games to preview. Let's go through them. Friday evening, 7.50pm, Monica Oval in Canberra. How cold is it going to be up there? GWS 
taking on Hawthorne. Have we? I'm pretty sure we haven't had a Friday night game in Canberra before. You know, when Friday night football first burst onto the scenes with North Melbourne at the MCG, and it's always been presented as the main stage, did anybody ever picture Greater Western Sydney versus Hawthorne at Canberra on a Friday night? It, in this, the depths this, of winter. This, to me, just reeks of that the old pre-season competition when teams from around Australia turned up in Melbourne and South Fremantle were playing South Melbourne and St Kilda were having their travails with Sturt. It's just a a strange Friday night it's going to be. There'll be fireworks. The only way there will be fireworks is if you go to Fishwick and buy them. (laughs) Fishwick. I thought that's where you bought porn. And fireworks. (laughs) Porn and fireworks. I think that's... I thought porn made fireworks. I think that is so old hat. Yeah. Oh, that... Uh, presumption. Yeah, I, I think fireworks have been illegal for a long time, yeah. and most people have porn on their on their <laughs> mobile phones. Um, I wonder if I'm just trying to think. What were they thinking? Uh, it's a really odd game. Well, did Hawthorne? Hang on, where did Hawthorne? Uh, Hawthorne finished top four last year, so maybe they're counting on GWS making a real premiership it, tilt, and the Hawks being up there. Is there a Chogham meeting or something I, in I Canberra know. so they can show football to the world? But surely, I find it impossible to believe that when they're looking at the fixtures, someone didn't go. Hang on a sec. Start of August, Friday night, Canberra. Yeah, it's not going to be. Uh, is bring your own thermals. Like, will, will the prime minister be awkwardly sitting in the crowd? With, a, with two scarves, sort of. What, Cronulla and GWS going, how good is this? <laughs> um, I love the GWS Western Giants. <laughs> can you just get the name wrong. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the actual game, um, Cameron Kelly DeBoer, I think all a chance for the Giants. Uh, boy, that makes a bit of a difference. Uh, they've got a few others coming back too. Um, for the Hawks, uh, no Grant Birchall. In fact, may have played his last game, which is a bit sad. Uh, Tim O'Brien uh, is okay. He came back from that calf injury, didn't he? A um, couple of others. Uh, Harry Morrison, I think he's back. Dylan Moore back. But the Hawks officially out of finals running now. Um, so you'd think GWS is going to win this one, surely. Yeah, I've really liked GWS's ability in the last couple of weeks to eke out victories. They haven't been brilliant, but they've been more resolute than I think most of us give them credit for. That will count for a fair bit on a cold Canberra night. Mm. Hawthorne, just when you're willing to put the... There's two teams this weekend that I'm loathe to tip for or against, and Hawthorne's one of them, because just when you think they're done... Oh, you just can't write Hawthorne off. They're, they're like the... They're, they really are like the main... The, the principal character in a horror movie. You know, you've buried... You've buried the the monster. It's, it's all over. Everybody's relieved. All the kids are back at college, and the frat houses are having parties, and you, you just see the, the creature, you know break soil in his grave and come, <laughs> come back for one more kill. <laughs> yeah, okay. So who are you tipping? GWS. Uh, but, but be careful, GWS. The knock on the door might be Freddy Krueger. All right, GWS for me as well. Uh, Melbourne Collingwood, 145 MCG Saturday afternoon. This is the um, return bout of the uh, Battle of the Big Freeze, that Queen's Birthday Monday event game. This will be more of a freeze. This could be... 
They're expecting a top of 11, low of 5. Yeah, that wind chill factor. It's, uh, it's not going to be a huge crowd. Melbourne home game, I think, uh, dare I say it, good ski weather. That might uh, get rid of a few, um, as it did last Friday night when the Demons played Richmond. Uh, now, people saying, oh, this could be ugly. The thing is, though, Melbourne really haven't been smashed at any stage other than, hang on, GWS did smash them, but apart from that, they really haven't been belted by anyone. And this is the weird... I was talking to Jordan Lewis about this after the game last week. It's sort of weird for a side the second bottom of the ladder and won how many games? Five games? Um, they have been, by and large, competitive in just about every game they've played. So I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park, particularly for a side that has lost another key player in Mason Cox, and that does have huge structural ramifications for the Pies. Um, and it's still got an army of players out. Uh, who are we talking about there? Dugowie, uh Moore. Um, who else is out? Oh, there are heaps oh, out. Beams, Dunn, Langdon. Langdon. Um, yeah, it's a, I think there were 15 on their unavailable list, including Jaden Stevenson and Sam Murray. I mean, it was massive. So they are being stretched to the bare bones. And look, I mean, they were... Uh, they got some confidence back against Gold Coast last week. Um, I think they'll have a comfortable enough win. Yeah, Melbourne, unfortunately, don't have a forward line. I know that they've been, scoreboard-wise, it appears as though they've been in quite a few games. The problem is that you kick three or four goals clear of Melbourne. It's very hard for them to bridge that gap because their forward line is so devoid of targets. It really, every time the ball goes down there, mm. they're almost to a man um fighting out of their uh, out of their weight division it makes it very hard to bridge the gap but they've been quite courageous in at least making a contest of these games well they're two key forwards mcdonald's just had surgery um and Wiedemann's about to have hip surgery i think from memory so the one thing they can do this week cuz lever and may 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 both come back is play stephen may forward well, hang on, Lever played last oh, oh, round. Sorry, well, Lever and May together, May may come back. May so, can be as a tandem. Uh, sorry, yeah. they may have that pairing together. Yeah. Would you play May forward? I would. Uh, Especially p- with Mason Cox out. Yeah. Why do you need so yeah. many tall defenders? Yeah, no, fair point, fair point. Be interesting to see what they do. Who are you tipping? I'm going to tip Collingwood, but I'd love to see Melbourne throw the, you know, throw the names around the whiteboard a bit. All right, uh, let's head to Adelaide Oval, Saturday afternoon, 1.40pm local time, so 2.10 AEST. Um, Port Adelaide taking on Sydney. Now, the power potentially can move into the eight if they win this one and a couple of other results go their way. Um, Some bad news. Uh, I don't think everyone knows this. But uh, he's in doubt. He's very much in doubt. Everyone knows it's Butters. Uh, Bruce Sternum. That was, yeah, that was a fearsome whack, that one. Uh, Burton, yeah, still not right. Uh, That's about it for them in personnel terms. Uh, The Swans. So Ryder's playing. Yeah. With a big suggestion he's going to GWS next year. Interesting. A third change of club for a guy over 30. Yeah, well, a. you know, I think I think they're open to discussion about him, and GWS are looking for a replacement um, behemoth because Shane Mumford's coming to the end of his tether. 
You can't even fall on people anymore. Oh, you can still do that. But I, I believe that there's a big chance Ryder will be GWS. Interesting to see how that plays out for him. I, I think it probably inspires him to play as well as possible to get another contract. Um, they're very impressive last week, Port. They mm. they absolutely hammered Essendon in all aspects, really, on the inside, on the outside, up forward, defensively. And um, I, you know what I liked? When they did get clearly on top in that third quarter, mm. they put the foot down on the pedal and really reap the benefit of quick scoring. And a lot of teams can dominate without doing that nowadays. And, you know, another thing, observation on them, you it's funny how often you sort of think, well, this, this whole section of the field is taken out and then someone just bobs up from nowhere. And uh, we mentioned in our Sunday episode, I gave a hot to Darcy Byrne-Jones, who's been terrific. But what about... Dan Houston this season is yeah, a midfielder, or well, really not even the whole season, but he's been moved from defence into the midfield, and he's proved a perfect fit. And he was best on ground against the Bombers. He's given that they've, you know, they haven't had Ebert for a while now and won't. Yep. Uh, Wines missed a fair chunk of footy. Um, Houston's been terrific for them. Doesn't have a problem. So all all of that being said, as I said, there's one team I don't like tipping against. It's Hawthorne. Sydney. And there's one team I don't like tipping, it's Port Adelaide, because oh, sorry, yeah. just when you think the Port Adelaide has righted the ship, and I think if you look at the remaining games for the year, you'd say Port Adelaide are warm favourites to make the eight. They let you down you know, terribly. And they you think, let you and down when you least expect it. Correct, and you scratch your head and think, what on earth, how did that happen? And Sydney is a fairly, they're undermanned, but they are an honest contest. I've got to tip Port Adelaide, but I do so saying this, that I will not be shocked. I won't fall off my chair if they lost, if they lost this game. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, Sydney have been good at those sort of backs-to-the-wall road trip wins. I uh, think his personnel still an issue, still no buddy, obviously. Do you like the kid that's going to make the debut? Did you see it? I, I did. He had to dance. In, he had to training. dance, and then he rang his mum and started crying. Bell. Yeah. Oh, he was crying. He cried, mom, was he? his mum cried, his yeah. mum goes, did you tell dad? He goes, oh, I can't get through to him, he's not picking <laughs> up the phone. <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, very emotional. Yeah, no, I like those videos, all the clubs do now, they're pretty good. Yep. Um, all right, so we're both going for Port there, really a must, obviously a must, must win, win if yep. they're going to make the eight. And uh, the big one of round 21, finey, it's the uh, Q Clash up at the Gabba, 4.35, Saturday afternoon in Brisbane. Taking on Gold Coast, uh, now this could be ugly. You know, I look at, when I, I even if I look at that written down Brisbane Gold Coast, I still sort of think they should be one club. <laughs> yeah, well, you wouldn't be the only one. The, the, we've certainly had no examples of a strong Brisbane and a strong Gold Coast in the same year, have we? Mm. When Gold Coast were at their best, Brisbane were on their knees. Now, th- this is a really important game um, percentage. for percentage, yeah, correct. Yeah. They, uh, will, they will hunt it. Yeah. I, they've got a fair amount to catch up, mind you. I think the Cats are about... Oh, I do, the Cats would have lost a fair bit, but they're still a handy chunk ahead of both West Coast and now, Brisbane. Now, they have not written Zorko off completely for no. this game, which is... Cr- even if he's... Uh, uh, a tiny bit off. You wouldn't play him against Gold Coast, would you? No, I wouldn't have thought so. Actually, sorry, I've got to correct myself on that percentage thing. Yes, they're a long way behind Geelong, but of course you only need to get second to get a home final. That's right. And, and they're less than 1% behind West Coast. That's right. There's other there's other teams in the mix. Yes. So really good chance for them to, uh, and, and just 
build some more confidence. It's at the Gabba. It's not even at Metricon. So they're at home. Uh, I agree with you on Zorko. If there's any sort of risk at all, surely you don't play him. Um, Gold Coast, uh, yeah, they're struggling. They kicked the first two goals against Collingwood. They did. And then they found it so hard to move the ball from the back line. Yeah. Brisbane have been very good defensively setting up and making it hard for better teams than them to move the ball. I, I Obviously, everybody's going to tip Brisbane, and so they should. Do I think Brisbane can win by 70 or 80 points? Probably not. I, I, I think there are limits to their powers over four quarters. I'd say them by 10 goals would see them out. Uh, I'll go 12 goals. Okay. Uh, not much of a difference. All right, uh, now this is a pretty and, crucial. And by game. the way, good luck to Lions. I hope he has a, a ripping game. Oh, yes. Uh, Essendon v Western Bulldogs, Marvel Stadium, Saturday, 7.25 p.m. Now, the Bombers got three left, finey. They are the Bulldogs, Fremantle in Perth, and Collingwood. Have to win at least one of them, and none of them are Gibbies. a given. No. They they were terrible uh, last week, and Bulldogs, of course, simply have to win to maintain their top eight hopes. I think historically the Dogs have had the edge over Essendon for quite a while. Uh, on the personnel front, Guelphie, unfortunately, gone for the rest of the season. Uh, knee surgery after a training mishap. Um Far from the only injury worry, of course. Uh, they'll get McKernan back from illness. He was barely missed last week. Heppel has now missed the last two with that foot injury. Desperate to get him back because I think midfielders, where they're looking up against it, given the prolific nature of the Dogs' possession winners in the middle of the ground. Um, Adam Saad, a minor hamstring issue. So that is potentially costly if he doesn't get up. Parrish was concussed, so I think he's going to be all right, but a bit of a watch on him. Ditto Aaron Francis. So they've certainly got some personnel issues, the Bombers. Uh, not so much the Doggies, although Caleb Daniel did pull up sore after the uh, game in Brisbane on Sunday. And then there's that issue, of course, coming back off a Sunday evening road trip. Never that easy. Uh, I think Hayden Crozier might have rolled an ankle too and was up for a test. But how do you see this one panning out? Huge in Corey McKernan because it... it uh, well, Corey would be a huge oh, sorry, in. Oh, sorry, Sean McKernan. <laughs> uh, huge in Sean McKernan because it, it has implications both in the forward line has implications for Mitch Brown, who you rightly pointed out on Sunday, is a much better second banana than he is the main man. So Brown becomes more effective. McKernan becomes a great target. There's also less reliance on Zach Clark. Would you play Zach Clark? Tim English, I reckon, could be handled by McKernan. And well, I know you need him up forward, but yeah. Zach Clark looked um, yeah, yeah, surplus he, to needs against well, he got Port hammered. Adelaide. He got hammered. Um I think they have to because I think they do really for, do need McKernan up. And, and Hooker, yeah, see, Hooker started forward last week and it just painfully oh, didn't work. Yeah, I'm, they need him down back. Aaron Norton obviously had a very difficult opponent in Harris Andrews, but he can really, he, he'll get a lot of service because we know that between them, McRae, Dunkley and, of course, Bontempelli, two of them are going to get 35-plus possessions and the other one's going to get 30. They're going to get a lot of ball potentially into their inside 50, and Hooker needs to play on Norton because otherwise, what's your backline structure? Francis may well not play. That neck injury seemed to really hinder him last week, and he better be 100% fit because with that neck injury, he became a lesser player. 
albeit that he started the game brilliantly. Um, I'm going to tip the Bulldogs because, no disrespect to Essendon, they are losing, they are bleeding players. You, yeah. you cannot keep doing this. I mean, you know, they'll have to play Snelling again. He kicked two goals in a couple of minutes, but that was it. There are other, I'm not, I don't know if Fantasia's fit. He might have peroxide poisoning. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the the reality is, if Essendon win this game, it's it's it would be a m- mighty win. I'm sorry, they they may even be favourites, but when they walk out on the ground, you will realise from the first bounce they're up against it. Now, I'm I'm tipping the Bulldogs, but respectful of Essendon's fight in the last month and a half. Uh, yeah, and I'm completely the other way on that. I'm I'm tipping Essendon with much trepidation and largely off the back of that resilience that they'd shown up until last week and based on the availability of both Parrish and Heppel. So uh, I may come unstuck on this tip as early as this evening when the teams are announced. But um, so much riding on this, I, I think... Uh, I'm just counting on them to show that pluck again. Have a look when the teams are picked. I don't want to be unfair on this player, a bit of a favourite of yours, but if Langford's in the team, they've got too many injuries. He shouldn't be playing. He should be dropped from what I've seen in the last fortnight. He's struggling. Yeah, he's definitely But that's struggling. sort of a, a, a... You could use that as a bit of a marker. Mm. Yeah, well, one, one that might happen now, I'm just thinking about now, but I'm reasonably confident David Myers might come in. Okay. It's been racking them up in, in the reserves, and I think they need some strong bodies. All right, uh, that's enough on that one. Geelong, North Melbourne, down at GMHBA Stadium, also Saturday evening, 7.25. The Cats have now lost four of their last seven, uh, just run over the top of by Frio last week, kicked five in the first quarter, only four in three quarters after that. And uh, have some player issues too. Gary Rowan will miss at least a couple of weeks with a knee injury. Um, one guy who may be back, and uh, I wrote about this the other day actually, and they've really missed him. Cocker too. Uh, now Brandon Parfit, he was part of that midfield setup early in the season. They might put Cocker too in. Uh, yeah, he's had very very little football. The guy that perhaps they might put in. More so is Narkle. I think I was told Narkle was very good in the VFL last weekend. Yes. But uh, Parfit um, was a big part of that midfield set up early and they've really missed him. Ranked very high for contested ball too. So it um, be interesting to see if any of those guys we've just named play. Uh, North, Do well, they play Zach Smith or Reece Stanley? I reckon they've got to go back to Stanley. Stanley yeah, I think they do. Um, because I think Zach Smith got shown up by... Aaron Sand, you know, a very well, he didn't expose he Aaron didn't Sandals. expose Aaron Sandlands as he could have. No, and I think Stanley, um, yeah, yes, he's very prone to ups and downs, but that's probably why you need to get him back in if you want to sort of run him into any sort of form and confidence for the finals. You got to play him again now. And Jordan Clark is out probably oh, for the year now. Is that for the year? Yeah, it's very serious. Quite Gee, serious elbow injury. That is a big loss. No, he's been really good for them. Yep. Uh, firstly, out of defence, and then on a wing, that's a big loss. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I wrote a column on the Cats during the week. I, I think they've got to get a bit bolder at selection. Their sides have been more closely resembling the sides of yesteryear, and I think the exciting footy they played earlier this year was due to a lot of the shake-up that that team had. So I want to see a, a Narkle and maybe a Cockatoo and Parfit, those guys, back in the team. <laughs> Just... Think about what you just said. Okay. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't I, I don't want to say it and I don't want to think about it. 
Um, all right, so uh, North, uh, quick word on North. Well, aren't they? Davies Uniac now out for the year, shoulder reconstruction. I think he's just about come to the end. You know, first full season for him, and maybe his returns were diminishing in terms of impact on the game anyhow. (laughs) I can't believe I said that. (laughs) (laughs) What you'd like to see is up to you, my friend. They're going to test them. You know, Ben Brown's a good target up forward, and that will mean the Blitzers will have to stay deep and deprive the opportunity of him running in the ruck, which has always been good. They are enjoying life under Reshaw. They, they seem to be playing with a, a freedom, maybe a freedom of not really playing for anything. Mm. They're not going to make the eight. They're, they can rattle a few cages on the way home. And, you know, some teams, the season just peters out for them when there's not a lot to play for. Other teams really look at it as a launching pad for the year for the year following. Yeah. And I feel that's their mindset. But Geelong they just I, I think I've explained this to you before in horse racing, sometimes a horse that you want in the race comes out of the barriers and you just want them to find their feet and they, they need to be ridden up and that they can take a while to get going and they've got to get their feet from underneath them to be part of the race. Geelong have to just get they just get going again. Just they have to win this because if they don't, time is running out for them to have a build back to a premiership contender. It oh, must... well, and and plus they've got Brisbane at the Gabba next week. Yeah, but but I'm saying even forget ladder position. The way they're playing is too far off. Yes, a finals with Richmond humming. And... Yeah, 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 and that's been the case now for seven, nearly two months. So yeah, no, absolutely. So you go on the Cats. Yeah. Where's Ablett and Selwood at? Um, actually, funnily enough, Selwood's possession rate has actually gone up in this period coinciding with the slump, but it's still not what it was. It's, I think, 22 or something. Ablett... But he was such a max winner in Yeah, yeah, no, Ablett's the, the big drop-off. Danger's stats have gone down a little bit, but Ablett's have fallen off a... Not fallen off a cliff, but they've fallen significantly. He He's the big issue, I think. Okay. Um, all right, so we're both going for Geelong. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sunday afternoon, Marvel Stadium, St Kilda v Frio, one ten pm. Take it away. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't start queuing up now. You'll get in pretty much close to one ten. There will not be a big crowd at this one. I reckon it's a difficult tip. This. I'm comfortable in tipping St Kilda. St Kilda played well. They were not bad against Adelaide. Mm. They're playing with some verve. They like playing at Etihad Stadium and. Fremantle, you must understand, this is a very different team than the one that plays in front of an adoring home crowd that seems to have no idea about the ladder. If you would have heard the crowd last week, you would have thought that that team was getting a win that was driving them into the top four. The crowd was delirious. Mm. If I was there, I'd be yelling out of the fence, why are you playing like this? Where's the honesty? I know this is your theory about the Dockers particularly, isn't it? That they're home, live in they're, one week bubbles. Well, they're, but their home games are like played in a complete. Well, yeah, a, I got a, a complete bubble. Are, are you going this week? Yeah, oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. What, what's the ladder? But what's a ladder? Yeah. I'm <laughs> going to see Frio win. Yeah. 
And it's sort of like they don't care what happens. No, when and the there. fact and the fact is that next week they're going to be back at home, so they've got to build up for that. It's an inconvenience not playing there. So you're going the Saints. Oh, I'm happy to tip the Saints. Okay, well this is this is where we um, depart because I'm yeah, and I know this is a gamble, and I might be silly because I think I'm three ahead of you in the tips. Yep. But I just think Fremantle might have. <laughs> they don't turn corners really, do they? But they were they were really good last week. Their last um, visit here and last game at Marvel, which was only a couple of weeks ago, they were absolutely dismal. Um, but they are still a finals chance. A lot has to go right. Um, so I'm just... It's a hunch. It's nothing more than a hunch. But if they do play to their potential, they win, I think. They beat St Kilda playing to its potential. Yeah, I hope St Kilda's star recruit doesn't get injured. Who's that? Brad Hill. Oh, you reckon he'll go to St Kilda? Oh, they they've... It in, makes sense. They're into him. Yeah, no, it makes sense. They're I definitely need a bit of pace and a bit of silk. Yep. Um, Rory Lobb season over, of course, for the Dockers. Uh, yeah, so absolute punt. Oh, I think um, actually one important bit of selection for the Saints, Gresham. I think uh, fractured an eye socket at the weekend. Might miss the oh, rest did, of the oh, season. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, that's bad. Okay, so you're sticking with uh, the Saints? Oh, apparently gastro's over. <laughs> okay. Yeah, geez, they've had some bizarre sort of uh, things counting them out this year to Saints. Some gruesome I? descriptions of the boys that had gastro. But, yeah, you know, no, let's, they, they couldn't step without squelching. Yeah, you know, let's not go into gruesome detail. All right, so you're going to Saints. I'm going for Frio. Uh, next on the agenda is uh, Richmond and Carlton at the MCG. 3.20pm Sunday afternoon. Tigers now have won six in a row, I think, and uh, can still move their way up that ladder and ensure a home final. So important they keep winning. And the Blues uh, certainly came back down to earth last weekend against West Coast, who taught them a bit of a lesson. They played all right, though, Come. Yeah, actually, it wasn't, it wasn't a smashing, was it? But um, it showed up the sort of difference in ability between the bottom section of the ladder and the top end of the ladder and here's one for you Finey, the Blues are hopeful McGovern will return to football this week after a solid four week training block apparently it'll be oh, cherry right apparently be, it'll be cherry right before December. Apparently if you better be returning for the Northern Blues, I'd be very disappointed if he took somebody's spot in that team. Yeah no he won't he won't. Uh, Richmond played a very boring win against Melbourne it had it Tell had, me about it. I'd sit on the boundary. It was like it was like the the, the obvious. It rained on. It was like the obvious over four tedious quarters, and unfortunately, I think we might be in for the same. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't see Richmond. It'll be a grind, and it's going to be wet well, they, too. Well, isn't well it? Richmond's not really hunting percentage. Yeah, they're a very good wet weather team. They'll win, and I think they'll do what it needs to. Uh, they'll do what they need to win without. Overextending themselves. Yep, same. I I agree. Uh, so Richmond for us both there. And final game of round twenty one: West Coast Adelaide Optus Stadium, three twenty p.m. Uh, local time, five twenty p.m. Eastern Seaboard time. Very similar to, I guess, Fremantle uh, Adelaide. You wouldn't tip. They were quite good against St Kilda. They played a controlled game. Are you, are you tipping Taylor Walker to kick four again? If you are, you're a brave person. Um, Alex Keith might be back, which is good, probably for the injured Hardigan. But 
that would be an upgrade. I think Hardigan's supposed to be okay, isn't he? Well, I, he was being thrashed by memory before he got injured anyhow. So oh, okay. if Keith comes back, still, they need height in the back line, I guess. West Coast are just gearing up nicely for the finals, and they may torch Adelaide on the weekend. I, I, I think Adelaide are a good enough opponent so West Coast won't go into the game yawning. They'll be alert. Mm, but not might, alarmed. They might just be alert enough to deliver a thrashing. I'm certainly tipping them and buy something. No, they looked uh, they looked ominous. Um, and uh, the likes of Liam Ryan, Willie Rioli, um, Jared Cameron, uh, Jack Petricelli. He's very fast. He is, he's so quick. Can I exp- say... Oh, hang on. Sorry, yeah. just one more. This is important. Jamie Cripps. Also and might, Hutchings be might be back. Yeah. Oh, they are looking ominous. You know why that Liam Ryan mark for mine was one of the best marks I've ever seen? Because uh, he was running with the flight of the ball. Yeah, uh, we know. We are, I think we all understand what bravery is required for that. The Nick Rewalt mark, remember, against Sydney was incredibly brave, but that was a kick actually to Nick Rewalt that went over his head. Yeah. And he was committed to it. That Liam Ryan mark. We see that many times in every game, every week. Players 15 metres from the... The ball was intended to be kicked to the big forwards. Mm. That was a kick to Darling or Kennedy. He bought into a marking contest that anybody can buy into many times during a game, but they don't. Mm. It's not their job to run back with the flight of the ball. People rove in that situation or set up... A kick, a kick away. He went for a ball that wasn't for him to go for. If everybody starts doing that, we'll have casualty wards filled with players, but they won't because only Liam Ryan did it, and he did it brilliantly. It, it was unbelievable. A remarkable grab. Yeah, I guess like the other comparison, I guess, is that Jonathan Brown mark against Hawthorne. Again, at the I think that ball was kicked to him. Was it? I think so. Yeah, okay. But right. if not, he felt that he's the centre-half forward that has to go for it. Yeah, no, no, great, great, Ryan, great. Ryan was supposed to be the, the, the crummer, not the flyer. All right, so we're, going, we're both going West Coast. Comfortably. So two different. I'm going for Essendon, you're going for the Doggies, I'm going for Fremantle, you're so going, we're going for So we're going for our own teams. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, uh, that is previews with Punch. Uh, let's wrap her up. On Footyology, the final word. Okay, competition time, and this week we asked you to come up with your favourite footy card, Scanlons or otherwise. Uh, didn't have to send in a stick of gum or anything, but uh, preferably some visual evidence and a amusing and pithy little anecdote about why you liked this particular footy card. Finey, you're the judge. What did you come up with? Okay, there were some wonderful entries, and I want to start with Ian Broadbent from Western Australia. Because, of course, as we in Victoria were collecting our football cards, there were sets made in other states. And WA obviously had their own production line, and a very young John Ironmonger appeared. Now, we remember John Ironmonger as sort of a a fearsome type footballer. Sitting on a gutter in America eating raw steak. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't want to say a fearsome creature, but we remember him body slamming footballers. Correct. He's a big man. Yeah, but he's a very young East 
Perth, John Ironmonger in a football card. Ah, WA footy card. Yeah, fondly remembered by Ian Broadbent. Was it a Scanlon's card? It was a Scanlon's card. Right. And, and sort of matched up, I think, with the cards that we had that year, so they would have looked the same background-wise. Yep. But he also remembered football cards in WA of Stephen Michael, Big Ron Belcher, oh, yeah. and Paul Harding. Uh, Ron Boucher, pretty sure, was Swan Districts. Um, Stephen Michael, South Fremantle. Uh, Paul Harding, I think, was East Fremantle. Big uh, Ron Boucher. Was he big, was he? Yeah, he was. He was their captain in those, I'm pretty sure, those three straight flags. They won between 82 and 84. I was always drawn to football cards of players that seemed to have big heads in footy cards, and Ian Hampshire fit that bill on a couple of occasions. The late Ian Hampshire, sadly passed away earlier this year. Now, there was an excellent entry from Marcus Leonard, a previous winner. He said that he quite comfortably didn't want to take the prize, but he made a very good case because he sent in some very odd football cards. They're beauties. Kevin Bartlett of Richmond... But in commentary, guys, with a pair of binoculars and headphones <laughs> calling a game. Sort of a legend card or something, but maybe post his career. Warwick Kappa with absolute blonde mullet, ready and aggressive, sort of at a three-quarter time address. But my favourite, and I love that he sent this in, was Matthew. And this is when in a series where they wanted to put nicknames in with the names. Matthew Nighter Knights. Oh, yeah, right. That was on the card. Yeah. <laughs> on the front of the card, which is odd. It's just... Is that like Mark Finey Fine? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just him in a swimming pool. Oh, yeah, as you do. Yeah, uh, you can't tell if he's skinny dipping or not because it's only from the shoulder up. But it's, it's an odd football... It's an odd footy card. That has a man in a swimming pool. Yes, true. Now, before I name the winner, just some of my favourites. The, the probably my favourite card is a famous card from 1973 that all aficionados of football card collecting will remember. Yeah. It's called the Big Leg. <laughs> now, Bruce Stevenson played what, for Hawthorne. Uh, correct. I think played in their 1971 uh, Premiership yeah. side. What was he, a half-forward flanker or a yeah, flanker of some nondescript type? utility. It was a utility, utility come yeah. stopper. Now, in 1973, the angle of the photograph meant that he had a giant leg. And when I say giant, please, if you can get onto your handheld devices, just type in Bruce Stevenson images, scroll down a bit, you'll get some American Bruce Stevensons, and then you'll see the horrific big leg, which I know was out of proportion, but it looked like he had a six foot eight leg. Very odd football card. I enjoyed the George Young footy card where he arrived at training and quite clearly was wearing a pair of denim jeans. Ah, yes. And one of my favourites was a number of Paul Callery's um, football cards for Melbourne and St Kilda, all in the balk position. You know, had the ball in one hand and he was obviously about to balk the cameraman, but I liked those as well. I think, actually, we got one entry you might not have seen. Yeah, possibly. I think it was Brendan Hoare sent in the iconic oh, the Jeff pose of Jeff Blethen. That's great. The spectacle Jeff Blethen. Kicking the ball with the bespecs. Yep, and the um, his head sort of almost leaning on his left arm That's outstretched. Great. And that pose, incidentally, was uh, adopted by um, 
there's oh, what are they called? I think Lee Tees, yeah, uh, an independent uh, graphic designer, uh, put that on a T-shirt, and right. it's become quite so a that good seller. Blethen that post. image of Jeff. Oh, Blethen that's good. Isn't that, that, yeah, that, that's great, isn't it? The, so well done, Brendan. Now the other football card that I liked, which was people don't know a bit lot about these because they they stopped doing them at the end of the sixties. Mm. They only did them for two or three years. They used to put three players in a marking contest. Oh, really? And, and was, it was a card named all three? All and... three. And, and and only a few clubs had them. But I remember at South Melbourne, there was like John Herriot John, and uh, other players that I'd never really heard of, Baskin and Herriot. And they were going, it was odd because they were going for a mark, but there was no ball. <laughs> there was room for a ball. They obviously told them just jump in the air and go for a mark. Might have been one of John Todd's imaginary footies. Yeah, I think it was. But the winner this week is Liam Spencer. Well done, Liam. What did Liam do? He did something very funny. Look, his favourite card is a Rowan Smith gold card from... Oh, some more recent From the vintage. Team Zone sets. Yep. It's a hard-to-get, triple-layered gold card. So he was desperate to get it. So you know what he did to a mate called Jake? They what? were at school together. He had... Jake was an Essendon supporter. And Liam had a quite rare Matthew Lloyd signature card. Ah. And Liam wanted and Jake wanted it. Liam wanted his card. But he wasn't quite ready to hand over the signature of Lloyd card. So he went to a colour photocopier, photocopied the Lloyd card and stuck it on a cardboard backing and conned his mate, which he apologizes for in the SMS. He got his what, gold twenty years later. He got his gold card and poor old Jake got a counterfeit or fugazi Matthew Lloyd card. Now, if you love a card that much, and we ask for your favourite ever card, that you're willing to risk a friendship and time in prison because it was a, <laughs> a forgery, we're going to give you the prize. All right. Well done. Well done. Liam Spencer, was it? Liam. Liam. The, he's going to have a nickname. Liam. The li, Liam. What's a good criminal nickname? Uh, fingers. Um, yeah. That's a, a safe breaker. Yeah. What's a counterfeiter? Uh, Liam Inky Spencer. Very good. And Liam, you win, of course, a Andrews Hamburgers a T-shirt cap and a 100% natural organic cotton gym towel from Argon. But in fitting with how you've won the prize, your T-shirt and cap will be Barley knockoffs, <laughs> and your argan towel will be, in fact, paper towelettes from a service station. No, they won't. They'll be the genuine article. So, Liam, please uh, get back to us on the info with your T-shirt size and your address, please, so we can get your footyology prize pack out to you very quickly. Finally, what's this week's competition? All right. Football grounds have been used either... Um, at the same time or before or after for some very odd other sports, other events, concerts, etc. So we're after the strangest thing a league ground has been used for, AFL, VFL. It doesn't have to have been in the same year that football was played on it, but just something very odd that happened at a football ground that hosted league football. And the example I give is... There was an odd ground called the Motor Dome, located where Olympic Park would later be positioned, like the Greyhound track. But it was, in fact, built in the 20s as Melbourne's first ever um, motor, motor racing circuit, just small, like speed cars. 
1932, Melbourne did some renovations to the MCG, or the MCG had some work done, and Melbourne played three home and away games there. But in 1926, the Motordome was the venue for a failed, spectacularly disastrous night of ostrich racing. It was supposed to be big, brought to Australia by an impresario. Only three races were held. The first was ostriches pulling sulkies like trots. The ostriches uh, dug their toes in literally and wouldn't go. The next two races, there weren't jockeys, but there were dummies on the ostriches (laughs) to imitate jockeys. Of course. When the flag went down and they were released by handlers, the large crowd cheered. And in both races, the ostriches took fright and jumped the fence. A number of fans were spec- were pecked. They called it off after three races. There were bookmakers there. And this was a night of farcical ostrich racing. <laughs> the first and last time it ever happened in Australia at the Motordome. So we're after examples like that. Well, if someone sent that one in, they would have won. So you've pinched someone's potential winning entry. Yeah. Well, or are you tipping no one else would be able to recite that story? I am. Well, you know what? There's been plenty of strange things happen at footy grounds. Believe you, mate. All right, get your entries in. Sounds like good competition. Uh, Footyology prize pack to be won. Um, get your entries into info at footyology.com.au and our prize team will get right on the case of assessing the uh, quality of those entries to win our prize pack. And that is all for today. Um, thanks for tuning in. Hope your team gets a win on the weekend. Hope we all survive this Arctic blast of cold, cold weather. Oh, I just made myself think of a song, Finey. Can have you any idea what it may be? Hot, hot, hot. Uh, no, but uh, that is a song, isn't it? Oh, feeling hot, hot, hot. Do you know what that song, there's a big story about that song. Oh, no, don't. We haven't got time. Can you tell it very quickly? Yeah, well, that song was done by a DJ who lived on, it was a country that, was on an island where a volcano erupted. The entire country was in the Montserrat. And the entire country had to be vacated. And the rebuild of the country happened on the back of that song. <laughs> it was from, by a guy from Montserrat. And about that, that devastation, the entire country had to be vacated. What a font of knowledge you are. Well, what's the opposite of feeling hot, hot, hot? It's feeling cold, cold, cold. Or... If you're into your Oz Rock, as we are, of course, you know where I'm going with this. It's Midnight Oil, Cold Cold Change. We'll see you for our Sunday Review Edition Sunday evening. <laughs>